Welcome to Focus on Success with Fazia Costi. Our program is designed to help you with executive function challenges. Our guest experts offer perspective, experience, and ideas to improve different aspects of your life. Now, here is your host, Fazia Costi. Hi, welcome to the show. Today, we are talking with Jay Johnson and Dr. Sarah Bald on Parenting Pulse. So welcome, guys, to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm really excited to have you both on the show today um, because we're going to talk about how marketing impacts early childhood development. And so let's start off with you, Sarah. Can you tell us a little bit about the American Academy of Pediatrics and what they have to say about marketing and how it impacts early childhood development? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The AAP, the American Academy of Pediatrics, they are They've released numerous statements, opinion pieces that um, screen time under two years old is just not appropriate for kids. Um, There's been a few studies. There's a few TV shows that are an exception. Um, AAP really says kids can have screen time. And I'm guessing this came through the pandemic uh, in order to video chat because then you're still social interacting. You still have the lips. You're reading the mouths because that's how children learn. Um, like besides the parents or grandparents or cousins, exactly things like that. Okay. Yep. So there's a few shows out there for little kids that are created by speech therapists to help them learn speech. So I'm sure those ones would pass the seal of approval um, just because they are presented like video chatting and their main focus is on enunciation, learning words, things like that. But for the most part, kids under the age of two really shouldn't be having any screen time. Um, now, is that realistic in our current society in for the fourth, fifth kid? Probably not. Um, I don't even know if that's realistic for the first child, you know, right. <laughs> I, I mean, can tell you, I break that rule all the time. I had to pause Coco Melon to start this recording because <laughs> we do songs and nursery rhymes on Coco Melon. <laughs> yeah. I, I think when parents work, it's really hard to have caregivers who are, unless you have a caregiver that's just watching one child, it's a very difficult thing to, to address. So you, even when you have one child and you're sitting at home, I, I'm, I'm sure that's challenging because you want to do other things. Like you have to make dinner and you have to maybe clean the, you know, carpet or something. I don't know. There's just so many things we have to do these days. It's hard to keep your kids away from, uh, screen time. What are some of the uh, shows that are acceptable? Oh gosh, I am trying to think of the name. It is there is one woman. I will come up with her name probably when we finish this recording. But she does. I want to say it's Miss Elizabeth. Um, she does. She's a speech therapist, and her own kids had speech delays, and then she created her TV show in order to help other kids with speech delays. But okay. and for those of you listening in, that's Briar, our, our other guest. Sorry. Hi, Briar. <laughs> oh, that's okay. How are you doing, kiddo? All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how early children are actually targeted. And, and Jay, this might be a really um, good topic for you to chime in on because sure. you're in the field. So, sure. and, and yeah, and you're welcome to talk a little bit about your background before we get started on this as well. Oh, sure. So I've been doing marketing now for um, probably going on 23 years, um, 21 with my own company. Um, so, you know, it's. So you've done a few things. I've, I've, I've done a few <laughs> things, right. I've seen stuff. Um, but yeah, as far as, as far as when, um, people get targeted, it's pretty much the instant they're put in front of a screen um, and there's a commercial running. So the way advertising works um, pretty much across all platforms, whether it's television, radio, social media, internet stuff, whatever, right? Is the marketing company does a fair bit of research based on the product they're selling or they're pushing to figure out which demographic, what time slots work best to maximize the impact of their advertising. 
So if someone's selling, say, um, baby formula, right? Um, hot topic right now. Exactly. <laughs> um, trying to stay current, trying to stay hip. Um, they're going to do the research for when a mom of a toddler or infant is going to be watching television. And the chances of them glancing at a TV program targeted for infants, right? Um, Miss Elizabeth or the, the show um, Dr. Bod was talking about um, is something where they might put an ad. Now you get into developmental things that I'm sure Dr. Ball can, can talk about where, okay, it's not really effective to show an infinite, a, a commercial, right? Because they lack the necessary communication skills to get back to mom or dad to say, Hey, I want something. Right. Right. And, and that's the real focal point for marketing agencies when it comes to children specifically is as early as the child can communicate to the adult. Right. That they well, want a thing. When I was young, we had, we would watch Saturday morning cartoons and they would have ads and those ads were very clearly directed at my age group at the time. And, you know, I'm sure I probably did go to my parents and say, I, I want this toy. And, oh, you, did? you know, for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. So, and it, and it goes beyond that too, because obviously marketing isn't just about streaming media. It's also about visual media. So layouts of stores and, those wonderful end cap pieces that you see near the checkout that have candy or little stuffed animals or trinkets or whatever. Those are put there for a reason because as an adult, we're trying to get, get out of the place and a kid will see it and be like, Hey, I want this thing. That last um, minute impulse buy and exactly. you just can't say no to your child. Exactly. Because you don't um, want to have a meltdown right before you walk right out before you check out. Right. You don't want to be that parent that's like, ugh, yeah, my kids. And everyone's got off staring the rails. at you. Exactly. And everyone, yeah, can't do that. That's exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's there's a funny example in personally that my wife and I had. We were in a store, and this little kid who had to have been like two came up to his mom and says, "Mom, I need this ladybug." And my wife's reaction was. Oh, that's so sweet. He knows the difference between want and need. And my reaction was, oh my God, he does. He does need that ladybug. So, you know, I'm susceptible to it too, even though I, you know, do it for a living. I think we all are. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, the, the short answer to the question is as early as a child can communicate with an adult to purchase a thing is how early a marketing company will target them. Well, and prior to the age of seven, and I apologize, my child's screaming in the background. I should give her a screen right now. <laughs> um, kids before the age of seven just don't have the developmental abilities to see the subliminal messaging in the ads. So they're just going to latch right on to it because that theory of mind piece that others have different perspectives, that there are pros and cons, that's not developed and you know prior to seven. Now, there's, there's some, but not much is developed before that seven years old. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And we on the marketing side know that too, right? So that's oh yeah. That that's one of the things that makes the the marketing industry somewhat to fairly toxic, right? Is that we're using all the research done by say Dr. Baldsfield to leverage Your how field. we can manipulate <laughs> people, right? I mean, because that's what marketing is about, right? It's about manipulating people to buy things that let's be honest, they don't need. Right. Well, and my, my joke is always, I've got a sustained attention task. I give kids and they do better on the harder one because there's tons of research into video games and how to make kids pay attention to them more and more. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's funny because like, I, I, I see a lot of kids who appear as if they're just addicted to their, um, video games or their screens, you know, they can't put down their phones. I had one student who would come into my office and this is a few years ago when I still had an office 
he would walk into my office and he would literally hold his screen, his phone in front of him as he's walking to the back of my office. Um, there was one time where he almost tripped because he was not paying attention to where he was walking. And, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, Sarah, do you see a lot of kids who, you know, get these video games, they get addicted to the screen time or they get addicted to the video games and, and then it becomes a whole new problem. Absolutely. There's been discussion about adding it to future diagnostic manuals, a video game addiction or technology addiction. It's not there yet where they will add it, but it's definitely yeah. been conversations in the fields. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely see it as an issue. I definitely think it's it's problematic. And, um, and, and so, Jay, you guys probably use this in your field to your advantage. You, you see this, these kids that are having issues with, uh, you know, video game addiction. And so it, it's easier to sell those video games, right? Um, so, yes and no. Okay. Um, Please explain. Yeah. So as society um, as a whole, right, starts to incorporate technology into their everyday lives, the, the dynamic shifts. So when you talk about something, say, like video games, which have been around for, especially in a technology sense, a very long time, right? Video, you know, right. I had an Atari in 1980 something. I'm not that old. Um <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking, I think I had that too. I remember yeah, when Atari so like, came uh, out. Uh, <laughs> um, most right. kids these days have no idea what Atari is. but Right. And if you look at my generation that had ColecoVision and the original Atari system, it wasn't really that big a deal growing up. We loved it, but it was still like you go outside and play and you do that fun stuff. However, the generation right after me grew up with that being a part of their life from day one, right? So from whatever that is, 1987 onward, video game technology has been around for a long time. And it's really hard specifically when, whereas video games are concerned to, to market them specifically because it's become more like a, there's so much out there to choose from, it's just kind of a like, oh, well, Billy likes this one, so I like this one. Billy doesn't like that one, so I'm not liking that one anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and we're seeing on the marketing side of things that it's becoming more and more challenging to, to do this, specifically video game marketing, which is why if you've ever played like a game on your phone or your iPad, the ads you tend to get in there are for the same company's games that you're playing already because it's more cost effective for them to advertise on their own thing for their other games to keep you in their revenue stream than to, to pay to go on someone else's game. Um, well, and I could always keep up with like, what is the hottest video game right now? And I knew like enough about each video game to be able to talk to the talk with the kids I work with. Right. right. And now it's like, I, every kid plays something different. And I'm like, it's yeah, it's, and it's, and it's just really with video games specifically that there's so much out there and so much, it's so rapidly changing that unless you're 10, it, it's hard to keep up with. Wow. Um, yeah. It's, it's crazy how all that works. Well, and then if you think about brain development too, you got these kids with underdeveloped frontal lobes because your frontal lobes don't finish till you're 30 who just impulse control is an issue for every kid. So it's, I want the next thing. I want the next thing. I want the next thing. Um, same with the, the marketing piece of it too, is I see it. I want it because I don't have that delayed gratification completely online yet. I don't have the right. problem solving abilities totally online yet. Um, right. And I would imagine there's a lot of science and a lot of marketers who know that and will continue to market that. Yeah. And yeah. talking to that specifically, staying in the video game realm, that's how in-game in-app purchases got developed because it was, okay, traditional marketing methods aren't working. What can we do to still make money? Oh, we'll sell a kid with low impulse control or no impulse control, a new suit for their character or a new weapon to use in a, in a fighting game or whatever, right? They get a new right. car and it's, 
it only costs 50 cents or it only costs a buck. Oh, that's nothing. Blink. And they don't even right. think about it. Um, and you then do that a hundred times and it's exactly. Costly. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's how the marketing is adapting. But even then it's, it has left the traditional thought process of we're selling a new whole new experience, a whole new thing, right? We're just selling you little tiny stuff. Micro transactions is what it's called, right? Where it's, we're selling you something super cheap, or we're going to sell you a bajillion of them just in this game. We're going to make as much money as we can out of this game, then dump it right. and come up with a new thing. And hopefully that takes off kind of a deal. And if you don't want to spend 50 cents, you can buy it a bundle of a hundred of them at, you know, 40 cents exactly. and they still exactly. make a ton of money, but you think exactly. you're getting a deal. Right. You know, I, I, I find this whole thing very fascinating because especially with COVID kids were at home more, uh, they were probably playing more video games, but I think adults were also. And so I'm just wondering, do you think the video game industry did better over COVID? I don't know. I'd have to, I'd have to look at the numbers on that. That's an, um, we, we don't do a lot of video game marketing ourselves. Or, um, so I, I'd actually have to look at that. Yeah. If we have a follow-up post on something, I'd happily do some quick research and we could, we could post it on the. Yeah, we could post that on the website. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I find this whole thing very fascinating. Let, let's talk a little bit about the different types of marketing and, and how, you know, even social media is impacted by all this marketing because, I mean, I'm sure there's not just one type of marketing that goes after kids. Oh, gosh, no. Um, so from, you know, in the marketing world, you have digital marketing, print, mark, you know, collateral point of purchase marketing, all of that stuff. What um, are they? Tell, tell me what that is. So digital is what you see online, what you see mm -hmm. in television, radio ads, um, where there's no actual physical thing, right? So um, print would be magazines. Um, I tend to include things like billboards, uh, things like that that you see somewhere. Um, and point of purchase stuff is what you see in the store. Um, from a marketing standpoint, in order to have an effective campaign, you need to coordinate all those so that so-and-so sees something online, whether it's a kid or adult, when they get driving down the street, see it on the billboard, it has the same feel, has the same look, reinforces that message. When they get to the store, they see the display that then um, cements that. Um, and it's all about building long-term recognition. In my industry, it's called brand recognition, but it's really just triggering neurons in your brain to say, I've seen it. I know it. It's familiar. I want it. Exactly. <laughs> um, well, I think once you get that familiarity, you have trust, right? I, I mean, I don't sure, know. Maybe, sure, sure. maybe Sarah has a different opinion on this, but I think once you see something a lot, you start having trust for that brand. You know, uh, I, I personally would never purchase, you know, like progressive, like insurance or, but I know what it is because they're constantly advertising. Well, oh, sure. And that's, and that's what it's about. The more touches, yeah. the more times you get in front of somebody, the more likely they are to recognize you and the more likely, therefore, they are to purchase things. But it's, I mean, it's fundamental after a certain amount of time, right? when the thing you use to blow your nose is a Kleenex, regardless of what brand it is. Right. But we all know it's the brand right? that's Kleenex, but we just extend it. But we that. call it a Kleenex, mm -hmm. right? It, you know, you used to Xerox things. I don't know if you still do. Yeah. No. But, but, we but it, <laughs> you're not doing it on a Xerox copier anymore. You're no. doing it on Canon or whatever. Right. Right. And, yeah. it's, and when you really think about it, it gets more fundamental than that. One of the biggest pushbacks I've, gotten in my career from clients, specifically uh, female clients, is I don't want things to be pink. I'm so tired of things for women being pink. When, and I've done this test with a number of clients of, okay, here, take this pink design or take this pink thing. And here, we'll go ahead and make one, whatever color you want, purple, blue, green, I don't care. We'll make it whatever color you want. Take it to Starbucks and randomly ask every woman there which one they like more. Don't indicate you have done anything that you prefer one. Which do you like more? 
they're going to almost always pick pink because from a societal standpoint, we have for generations associated, <laughs> said pink is the girl color, blue is the boy color. Um, right. and, and it's that started with marketing. Really? People don't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're programmed to just think. And that's what happens over girls. time. You, it's just, well, pink is a girl's color. And it's like, well, no, I, you know, I have tons of pink stuff. I love pink. Um, but when you see someone have a little girl, nine times out of 10, they dress them in some sort of pink. They've just continued the process of marketing that color to their kids. Created a that association. Happens, exactly. Yeah. And that happens with brands over time. Um, there are parts of the world, or at least America, that you can go to where soda is Coke. Yes. I just want a Coke. And you're like, what kind of Coke? Oh, well, I want a root beer. Okay, well, why didn't you just say a root beer? Well, because soda is Coke, right? And that's because Coke has infiltrated the soda market for so long that they are just becoming associated with the product itself. Right, right. How do you think things have changed uh, with social media? Do you think we go after kids more aggressively because kids are on social media, they have their own accounts and they're not really supervised like they might've been if they, if the ads were on TV and parents were walking in and out of a room where social media is on their personal phones, it's on their computers. It's, you know, it's a little bit more private. Um, so Yes and no is, is, I know it's <laughs> really good at those. I know, right? Yeah, well, well, please, please so, explain, explain what that means. I would say in general, it's not a more aggressive push towards kids for the positive side of that. The negative side is because we know we don't have to. Right. From a marketing standpoint, it's like, oh, kids are we have a captive audience. They're easily influenced. They're on the thing all the time. We actually don't have to try as hard for me, who's been doing this for long enough to know when the Internet wasn't a thing. Um, it's really annoying because the quality of advertising has just plummeted. It's just there's so much garbage. And they just don't um, feel like they have to try anymore. Because they don't have to try because you're in front of the computer. If we just show you or you're in front of an app, right? If you're playing a game, if the same and you're playing for free, which most of us do, if the same ad hits you every 30 seconds, every 45 seconds, whether it's garbage or not, doesn't really matter because you just keep seeing it. Um, At some point, you're going to break down and right. buy that product or... Do something right. with it. You're going to okay. do something with it. So it's, it's to say it's more aggressive, I would say, eh, no, not really the right word choice because marketing doesn't have to be a, that aggressive. The, the user from a social media standpoint is doing all the work. Interesting. You just have to get something in front of them that has a brand, has a logo, has some sort of concept and has a product to sell. So that's why I'm like, yes, no, sort of. Well, I would like to uh, take a break here in just a couple minutes before we do that. If somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Jay, how, how could they? Um, if they went to www.5minuteproductions.com, um, it's long. It's all spelled out. So it's F-I-V-E-M-I-N-U-T-E productions. Um, that would be the easiest way. There's contact form. Um, I think that would probably be the easiest way. Okay. We tend to work with companies, obviously, as a marketing firm. So, sure. you know, if you're just a person looking for it, I'll send a nice reply, but we probably won't be working together. <laughs> Saying. Well, thank you for sharing that. And, <laughs> sure. And Sarah, uh, Dr. Sarah Bald, how would you, how can someone connect with you if they wanted to? Absolutely. My website has a contact form as well. Thanks to Five Minute Productions. Um, my website is nestpsychaz.com. Thank you so much. And if you're looking to get in contact with me, you can go to my website, 
executivefunctioncoachaz.com. You can uh, subscribe to our magazine, Executive Function Magazine (laughs) there. And uh, you can feel free to uh, listen to our podcast as well as send me information on uh, if you're interested in being on the show, if you're interested in writing for the magazine. So any any type of uh, contact that you would like to have with me can be done through the website, executivefunctioncoachaz.com. And like I said, if you're interested in connecting or getting a copy of our magazine, which just launched July 10th, if you're interested in that, you can see the first, second, and third uh, volume in our website. So uh, I think that that would be a lot of fun to take a look at that. And um, we will be back after these messages. And just a quick shout out to our listeners. Without you, this would not be possible. So we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you are struggling with organization, time management, or other executive functions, Fozzie Acosti is ready to put you on the path to success. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Fozzie works with in-person clients at her Phoenix, Arizona office or with clients anywhere across the country remotely. Mention that you heard this ad from the Focus on Success radio show and receive a free initial consultation with Fozia, plus $50 off an intake evaluation, a $300 value. Visit executivefunctioncoachaz.com or call 480-648-1122. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Focus on Success. To reach Fazia Acosti or her guest on the live show, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Fazia at executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Now, back to Focus on Success. Hi, welcome back. I'm Fazia Costi, and today we're talking to Jay Johnson and Dr. Hello. Sarah Bald. Welcome back, guys. Hey. Thank you. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you on here. I, I think we have a really interesting topic about how marketing impacts early childhood development. And, um, you know, this is a topic that I think I would have probably appreciated knowing more about when my kids were younger, because you don't really think about what they're being influenced by when they're sitting in front of the TV or the computer. Um, I mean, there's a lot out there, isn't there, Jay? Oh, yeah. Pretty much everything. uh, Yeah. I mean, it's pretty... I mean, it's pretty amazing what marketing can actually do. It's great from the perspective of marketing, but it's it's a little stressful when you're the parent and you're trying to figure out what your kids are being influenced by. So let's talk a little bit about um, science and, and marketing and, and how they're actually targeting kids and, and maybe talk a little bit about government oversight and how those two play together. Well, which part do we want to cover first? Let's the science. With, yeah, Dr. Bald, would you like to talk about the let's science? Let's start with that. 
Definitely. I mean, there, there's so much science that goes into it. I, Jay, you probably know just as much as I do. I think about more of the social psychology piece of it. So I think about door in the face, foot in the door techniques. I think about celebrity bias. I think about all of that that goes into it. Well, let's talk about celebrity bias. What is that? So celebrity bias is an intuitive fallacy where we put way too much weight on the opinions of famous people. So we see, you know, JLo drinking this kind of water. We're all going to go out and buy that kind of water. Um, We see, you know, our favorite kids see their favorite YouTuber playing a certain video game since we're talking about video games earlier. Now they have to go play that video game. Um, Whatever the celebrity is doing or says is cool is what I'm going to go out and do because they're cool. So I want to be cool. Well, I think, I think adults fall for that too. You know, everybody carries a specific, you know, handbag, they have to have it too, or a specific shirt or brand name or whatever. I, I think it, yeah, it's definitely an interesting topic. And when they start creating their own line, of course, you're going to go buy that line of product, whatever it might be. Right. Why wouldn't you? If you if you love that persona or that particular celebrity, why not? What's the difference between celebrity bias and influencers? So the celebrity bias is a celebrity, someone who has become famous, generally speaking, for doing something other than being famous. The Kardashians obviously are of an exception, right? Because they're just famous for being famous. Um, so maybe they could inf- be more influencers or not. They could be, except they predate the concept of influencers. So really, and at this point, they are celebrities, or at I mean, least Caitlin a few of them was a are. famous athlete. Um, one of them is famous for something. Oh, well, sure, sure. Um, <laughs> right, um, but. Caitlin, not nearly as famous as Kim, right? Yes. Who was, right? So, but at this point, they're celebrities. So they're people we know for doing something outside of social media. Whereas an influencer is strictly someone associated with social media. So someone on TikTok, someone on Instagram, someone on Facebook, someone on whatever platform is where they do all their business, so to speak. And they are treated as spokespeople. So if I have a company that sells water, sells energy bars, sells food, sells shoes, sells whatever, I pay them just like you would an actor or an actress for a TV commercial to talk about a shoe or talk about a makeup line or talk about a whatever mm-hmm. that is mine. But they talk about it on their platform to their audience that they've built up over however long they have been doing it. So that's basically the difference. One person so is an famous for- So more targeted. Like uh, if, if they're, I don't know. If they're they- more self-made is, 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 okay. is an easy way to differentiate it. Whereas a celebrity has done something in a field that by default makes them famous. They've acted like an actor or right. Or a singer or an athlete, or, you know, they've, their profession was something that then made them famous. And that is what they stood out at some point. Right. Whereas an influencer is someone who has specifically done something um, on a social media platform that got them attention that then made someone in the corporate world say, hey, we'll give you a free pair of shoes if you do blah, 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 or we'll pay a certain amount of money to promote blah, blah, blah. Um, so if they have 5,000 followers, that's a targeted audience. If they have 5,000 followers, no one's giving them anything. Okay, so we're talking like know. <laughs> millions of, like we're talking hundreds of thousands to millions of people following okay, them gotcha. in order for them to, I mean, the 5,000 followers that's person. a substantial will, number of right. followers. Okay. Yeah, the 5,000 follower person, sure, might get Joe's local pizza shack or whatever, right? Um, But no company is going to waste money because $5,000 or 5,000 people isn't worth the investment you need to to give to promote a product because they're only going to reach 5,000 people. 
So you Very need influencers. It's pretty exactly. much a full-time job too right. as well. I mean, these people are on social media constantly. We have some friends who are influencers in the camping community and they said they had to sell their soul to do it. And they're constantly on taking photos, promoting items without being like, this is an advertisement, but look at these cool radios. Let's feature them in half of our photos, things like that. That's some of that subliminal marketing of I'm just going to take pictures with the product. And so it's on my page of, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 followers. So if you're selling those earbuds, you're going to wear them everywhere and take pictures of yourself wearing them and make sure people see the name and that kind of stuff. Right. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So from a conceptual standpoint, the influencer visually to the end user is living a certain life that revolves around products and living like in the camping world. They're always doing these great adventures in these great places, taking great photos and their life is amazing. Blah, 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 blah. And, and if they're I wearing see those this, I, I'm going to want to their products because I want that life. Exactly. Whereas, right. um, And they're working to do that. Whereas the celebrity is just given stuff. Interesting. Okay. Well, I I really do appreciate you clarifying that because I think, you know, not everyone understands the difference. Oh, sure. 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 All right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, how, how they market, specifically to certain kids and and you know is that different than what we've already talked about well, it depends what specific kids you're talking about um, well early childhood so yeah so how you market to them depends largely on science and it's and it's across all demographics right whether it's mm-hmm. age gender religion whatever in our world, um, anybody should be happy and fully support the scientific community um, because that's where we get all our information from, right? It's all about surveys. It's all about data that says people react to certain things. So when you see, for example, a children's commercial, think back to your early childhood days watching Saturday morning cartoons. The, the advertising then had a very specific look and feel, right? If you think back, whether it was a toy, yeah. right? Or, or a game or whatever, it had a very specific look and feel. Mm-hmm. Now, if you took that ad and you compared it to the same kind of ad today, the difference would be the... X number of years of scientific research we have to further hone that message. Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I'm talking about everything in the ad. If someone's doing the ad correctly, they've researched colors to use to target age ranges, genders, people who play this kind of game or do this kind of outdoor activity or whatever, right? Um, font choices, volume control, word choices, all of that is all based on scientific research done to find out what people react to. And it's not oftentimes research done by the marketing community. It's research done for other more noteworthy reasons than selling people stuff. So Dr. Sarah Bald's uh industry my profession. work yeah. for you. <laughs> sure. And you just piggyback it and use it. Got it. Absolutely. But yeah, we want to know what colors are calming, what colors are exciting so that we can paint our rooms or expose kids to different colors. I mean that's more 80s research and so that I don't know many scientists who do that now, but well, yeah, but probably still was valid in the market. Research that was done, exactly. Yep. Um, well, I, I mean, I think that's kind of the basis of like fast food restaurants, why they use like oranges and yellows and reds. It's, they're exciting colors. They get you moving. You know, they want you coming in and, and buying their food and leaving. Well, yeah. And I mean, there's and people don't realize just how much information um, 
people have about them from a generic standpoint, right? Um, you're talking about colors with fast food chains. People always think that, hey, yellow is bright and cheery and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's also the most visible color to the human eye outside of green, but green is everywhere, trees, blah, blah, blah. So you can't it use green. What's out. the next color you can use? Yellow, right? It's, mm -hmm. you want to see a giant billboard from the road. What color combinations do you use to make it stand out? Is it black on white or white on black? Or is it yellow on black? Because wait, that pops more and yellow is a super visible color to the human eye, right? It's that specific scientifically. And those colors change depending upon the age of the person you're targeting. And then you get into that's optometry and perception and visual. And so again, very good things. So think about like baby, developing babies. We do big high contrast toys for them because it helps with eye development. So we did the research to say, how can we help this baby see better? And then marketing uses. Right. Exactly. And, and I mean, it's terrible, but that's, that's what it is. It's, Hey, they said this color combination makes the kid the, the toddler, the infant who can't verbalize anything, more attentive, learn quicker. If we can stretch that out for, you know, three to five years where those color combinations are still used in what they see, it then becomes associative throughout their lifetime that we can then leverage that to, you know, manipulate. And sell your product. Right. Hawk nice. things. So does government have any oversight on marketing? So the, the concept of, and it's an old, I don't know if it's hillbilly, but <laughs> saying where it's, there's a fox in the hen house kind of deal is the hen house is the government and the fox is marketing. So it's, from a marketing perspective, you're trying to meet whatever the government regulations are while still working the system, right? So words on packaging make a difference. The most common um, example used to illustrate it to people is chickens. If you buy chicken at the store and it says cage-free, that is specific language that requires a specific definition as dictated by the government. However, what that means is um, the chickens aren't in a cage, literally. However, all they're required is to have a one foot square space mm -hmm. in which to roam around. That's what the government definition is. I mean, it's a little... Has, uses more words, but that's basically what it comes down to. I didn't know that. Sure. I don't think most people know that. They don't. However, it is technically not cage-free. But that came about because people started to use the term cage-free. And it's like, well, we should, and the government being the hen house is like, well, we should try and figure out what that means. So here's the definition. Okay, that's what that means. So, hey, Farmer Dan, are your chickens in a barn? Do they have a foot? They could. Cool. Cage free. We got it. Right. Um, same thing sort of applies to water. It's if it says it's spring water, a certain percentage of it, not very much, needs to be spring water. The rest can be tap water. If it says natural spring water, that's a different percentage that that has to be met, but the rest can be tap water. And we're talking 5%, 8% of the water. So when you drink your super fancy bottle of Fiji water, if it's Not. a <laughs> if it's a 10 ounce bottle, like half an ounce of that water is probably Fiji based whatever spring water. The rest is right out of a tap um, without any problem because that's what gov government oversight means. So there's always this back and forth of okay, well they said we have to do this in order to use this language, cool, we'll figure out the bare minimum we can do with that so we can use the language. Four out of five doctors or dentists, right, recommend every toothpaste brand out there. <laughs> That's because you have to find a certain number of doctors, a certain percentage of people 
and of that, get a four to five ratio and you're good to go. Okay, well, we'll just use it for ease of math. I found these five dentists, three of which said it, so I'm not gonna use those five. I'll go over here, found these five dentists. Oh, wait, two of those. So I'll get these two, these four together. And then four out of five dentists have now said that this toothpaste is amazing. Um, so when you say government oversight, yes, there's government oversight, sure. But it's always kind of a step behind or miles behind. It doesn't really mean what people think it means. And that leads me to the next step that I, I want to talk about. You know, what recommendations do you have for parents when they're they're talking about, you know, when we're talking about marketing and how it impacts childhood development, what recommendations would you have for parents to help monitor what their children are consuming when it comes to marketing? So, shameless plug, if you didn't listen to our previous podcast <laughs> a month or two ago about cybersecurity, you should go back and listen to it because a lot of the principles there apply to marketing in general, where there's um, using parental controls, being more involved with what your kids are doing, what they're playing, what they're watching. Um, if we get back to like the microtransaction stuff I was talking about earlier, making it so that they can't do those kinds of things or have access to passwords or whatever that gives them access to that kind of thing is what you need to do as a parent. Um, it's unrealistic, I think, as Dr. Bald mentioned earlier, to be know everything your kid's doing. I mean, with, with the way technology has... Um, permeated itself through society, it's, it's all but impossible to do that. So it's about being more aware of everything that your, your children are doing. So limiting FaceTime yeah. is huge. I am a super supporter of that um, as much as you can, because there are any number of nefarious people out there that are like, okay, cool. We will hook this kid right away on something as benign as an in-app transaction to cigarettes or alcohol or, you know, really bad stuff that kids should stay away from. Um, there are people out there willing to say, cool, I'll totally sell it to him without selling it to him because that'll get me in trouble with the vague government oversight. Mm -hmm. um, right. So there, it's for every good person out there, there's a, good 10 to 15 people that are like, I found the loophole. I'm going to take advantage of it. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. So just being cognizant and as aware as you can, understanding that it's going to be exhausting. Um, well, but do as much as you exhausting. can. Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, Sarah, do you have any last minute uh, recommendations that you want to give parents about what they can do to protect their children? Absolutely. And first and foremost, it was Miss Rachel was the name I couldn't come up with because I'm sure we had listeners screaming at the, their, <laughs> their whatever they're listening on right now. Miss Rachel. Um, <laughs> in case anyone was caring. Um, so watching shows like Miss Rachel are great. Um, recognizing that moderation is key. You want to moderate as best you can. Um, we're in a world of technology, so we got to be flexible. We got to embrace it to some degree. So being flexible where we can be flexible and being involved, just being there, watching the shows with your kids, talking about the in-app, you know, the gamification, the, the purchases, things like that. Um, and having realistic conversations of, Hey, this is what this means. This is, this is what, this is how you interpret with caution. This is how you are a good consumer. And teaching kids how to be good consumers and what's important there is very important. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I I think my favorite tip is, you know, be involved with your kids. Watch what they're doing. Sit and listen to whatever they're listening to. Watch what they're watching, and really get a good grasp on what your kids are ingesting. 
And I don't think Briar's very happy, but you know what? We are almost done. So um, once again, Jay, would you like to give your information if anybody would like to contact you? Um, sure. Uh, www.5minuteproductions.com if you are looking for marketing and advertising um, as a company. That would be awesome. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Jay. And that is Jay Johnson, if you're interested. And uh, Dr. Sarah Bald, how can anyone connect with you should they want to do that? Oh, so Sarah's having a little bit of a technology issue. So uh, you can go to Nest Psych. And I think, Jay, you might com. Yes, I knew there was an AZ in there. All right. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can go to executivefunctioncoachaz.com. Make sure you go to our website and subscribe to our magazine. We just finished our third issue. Our fourth one comes out in October. So we've got some great articles in there, um, some wonderful ads. So if you're looking to place an ad, um, since we're talking about marketing, if that's something you're interested in, feel free to give, uh, give me a call or send me an email. We'd love to help you out. You can also call us if you're interested in being on the show. And if you'd like to write an article for Executive Function Magazine. Um, Once again, if you want a free consultation, you can call call me directly or you can go through the uh, website. And uh, we just want to thank you for, for listening. Without you, our listeners, we would not be able to do this. So thank you so much. We look forward to bringing you another wonderful show next time. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Focus on Success. Please join your host, Fazia Costi, for another program next Wednesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we talk again, have a great week.